This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. If you would, uh, get your Bibles and turn with me to the book of James. And this has been an incredible study for me. I remember when we initiated the study last March, uh, it took us the entire month uh, just to break the ice, so to speak, get through the opening introduction of the wonderful book. And it ultimately took us five months to get through the first chapter. And uh, we have been gloriously, I think, blessed with some of these wonderful truths. All right. And so we're going to pick up, I think, a good place for us to uh, refer tonight is to go back to verse number 20. James chapter 2 and verse number 20. And uh, we can, as you see, we're getting close uh, to the end of this particular chapter. And we have, as I mentioned earlier, when we started this chapter back uh, in August, uh, we have been navigating through this passage for almost six weeks. All right, so let's look tonight. Let's pick up with James chapter 2. And verse number 20, James says, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Now this, this is a, some people have taken uh, this thing of works and made a tremendous controversy out of the subject. And I think it can be uh, controversial if you don't apply some wisdom and study to it. And that's what I hope that we can do in these next couple of passages. And I want to say something about this verse because it's very, very serious. When you look at the latter part of that, it says faith without works is dead. And I mentioned this briefly last Wednesday night in our study. And I asked the question, I can remember like it was just 15 minutes ago, what is dead works or what is dead faith you look at this dead faith is absolutely phony faith and there's no other way to describe it phony faith is not real faith and uh, it does take and require a great amount of faith uh, to be in the family of God now I want you to see something here in this passage of scripture uh, in and I get a couple of passages out of this the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17, I want to ask you to turn your Bibles there if you're following along with me, and they'll get these scriptures up on the screen, as you can see. They can get them up there a whole lot quicker than you can turn. But I want to talk about this thing about dead faith, and then faith that is alive, faith that works, and how important our works are, intertwining with this thing called faith. But let me read this passage of scripture, one that you're very, very familiar with in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. The word says, therefore, if is any man, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, I want you to see another passage of scripture in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 4. I like to cross-reference uh, in our Bible study. It gives me the freedom uh, to do that, uh, especially casually on Wednesday nights. 
But in Romans chapter six and verse number four, and by the way, this is talking about believers. So keep that in mind when you read this text. Sometimes it's important to know who the writer is referring to in this particular case, he's talking about believers. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. So keep in mind the subject matter here, what James is talking about. He's talking about dead faith. And this is a good place to say this tonight. You would be surprised of the vast number of people that are walking on this planet who believe that they are saved and who are actually not. Now that's a startling passage of scripture and that that should come to you as a a personal moment to take some personal inventory because uh, that's so true. Millions of people on this earth believe that they're saved and they're really not. I want to remind you of one of the most scariest passages in the entire Bible. I remember several months ago before COVID hit, I preached a message on the most tragic word in the Bible. And it's found in Luke chapter 19, verse number 10, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And I believe that one little word, lost, is probably the most tragic word in the Bible. Now, having said that, I believe that this passage that I'm going to share with you here in just a moment in Matthew chapter 7, I believe is the most frightening verse, the most frightening passage in all of the Bible. If you'll look with me. I want you to see this in Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 21. And most people think that the most scariest passages of the Bible are found in the book of the Revelation when you're talking about the Antichrist and, and the mark of the beast and the battle of Armageddon, but that's not true. This, I believe, is probably the most scariest verse in all of the Bible. When you think in comparison to the fact that there are millions of people walking on this planet who believe that they're saved and they're really not. They're really lost. So in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, look at this. And you have heard reference to this passage, I would hope by now, many, many times. The Bible says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. In verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Now, can you imagine this now? Imagine just for a moment this particular scene at the great white throne judgment. And as in the judgment seat of Christ where the Bible says every man shall give an account of himself, you can imagine standing at the judgment seat of Christ, every person called into question, given an account of themselves, Whether it be in alphabetical order, I have no idea how the Lord is going to do that, but he is going to do it according to the word. But it will work in the same fashion at the great white throne, totally, uh, two totally different judgments. So I do not know exactly how God is going to arrange the 
the great Bema seat of the triunal funeral uh, here. But look at this. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Now think about, think about the millions of preachers that are actively filling pulpits today around the world who are not saved. In fact, and this is the gospel truth, the pastor that built this church back in 1972, he had preached the gospel for over 20 years. And uh, back in 1972, this church was not called Buford Road Baptist Church. It was called Southwest Baptist Church. And back in 1972, the pastor that built this church ultimately resigned and then made a profession of faith. And then after he made a profession of faith, he went to Bible college at Howes Anderson College. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying this, that I know several preachers who at some point in their extended ministry realized that they really weren't saved. Can, I, how can that be? How can that be? How can somebody stand in the sacred desk of God and open the word and preach the word and not be saved? But it happens. I know people that it happened to. Look at the scripture. Many will say to me in that day, did we not prophesy? Did we not preach in your name? And then notice this. And in thy name cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then in verse number 23, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Now, I could probably teach a message or teach a lesson tonight on eternal security right here. Because there are a lot of people that believe that you can be saved today and lost tomorrow. I don't have time. That's not the lesson tonight. But the emphasis of the scripture is this. The Lord is going to say, he didn't say, you know what? I knew you at one point. I knew you at one place of time, but because of what you did, what you said, what you thought, you know, you just got so far off the path that I, I just can't work with you anymore. That's not what this verse implies. That's not what it says. The Lord will say, I never knew you. Not that I knew you at one time and you got in trouble. And those people that teach or preach that you can lose your salvation pretty much uh, adhere to that on the basis of what you do and what you don't do. But the Lord Jesus was in reference here. He said, then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. And then notice these unimaginable words. Think about this. People that are in hell forever, who have been there for a long time now and who will be there for the remainder of forever. Look at this. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Think about these words. When the Savior says, depart from me. And that's talking about for eternity. Forever and ever. You think about this. And so I believe that the most important thing that an individual could do in their lifetime is to give their heart to Christ. And so I want to ask you this question as we think about this faith 
without works is dead, dead faith, faith that's not real. Let me ask you this. Can you remember the time that you were saved? And I'm not saying can you remember it on a calendar date. Some people can. Some people can say, I remember the day back in 1973, whatever, and you, you maybe you have it wrote down in the margin of your Bible. It's not necessarily the important of the date, the actual date that you have written down, but the most important thing is this. Can you remember the time that you were saved, gloriously saved? You would be surprised of the answers that I get sometimes when I ask that question to many people and they will tell me this, oh, I've always been saved. But that's not true. People tell me all the time in a conversation about the gospel, I, I've known the Lord all my life. That's not true. Now, if you are saved, <clears throat> then let me say this, and I, I realize that there are many people watching tonight by internet, and that's wonderful. And I want to thank the media team who is <clears throat> continuing to broadcast this Bible study <clears throat> Uh, on Wednesday night, now that we're doing live services again, we have so many things going on around the campus. But for them to be doing this for you, uh, our internet community, I really do appreciate uh, them doing that. But let me say this to the, by large, people that are watching tonight. If you claim to be saved, then here's the bottom line, then we need to live like we're saved. That's so important that we live like we're saved. I think one of the things that scares me as a pastor is this. Because as this scripture says that we just read just a few minutes ago, many will say to me in that day, I fear that there are far too many people who actually attend church, attend the house of God, who are putting their trust or they're putting their faith in some sort of magical prayer that they prayed. And they're really not saved. Because here's the thing, I believe that when a person genuinely gets saved, that their life is going to radically change. Doesn't mean that a person is going to become perfected, but Here's, here's what I believe, that when a person genuinely gets saved, their, their life is going to demonstrate this transformation. It's when a person who claims to be saved and nothing about their life testifies of a change. That's a serious issue. I mean, when a, when a person is genuinely saved, I believe that there are going to be radical distinctives that bears the testimony of that. Now, when a person gets saved, you don't walk around with a sign and says, I'm saved. Some people wear T-shirts and baseball caps and whatever, and that's okay too. But here's the thing. Our life should be the sign. Not necessarily paper and posters that we're holding up over our head. Again, I want to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17. And the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, look at this, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And so this happens when, and it's a process. 
And it gives me some time here on Wednesday night to really do uh, a fact check on these scriptures. And I want you to think about the process here because there's a couple of things involved that maybe you very rarely give thought to, but they are so important. They're, they're the ingredients in this thing called grace. When, when a person is radically changed, I want to give you several scriptures tonight. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, the Bible says this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and the imperative thing is this, and believe in thine heart. I've had people to question me, Pastor, where does it say in the Bible that you you ask Jesus to come into your heart? And many people have argued the point, well, it's not there, preacher. I cannot find a passage that says that in order for a person to be saved, they have to ask Jesus to come into their heart. But the argument on that is this, this passage that you're reading right here, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart. This is where our belief comes from, our spiritual heart. Notice this. It's not just believing that God exists, and I spent an entire Wednesday night talking about how even the devils believe and tremble. So it's not just a a mere belief that God is real. But notice this. If thou shalt believe in thy heart that God raised him, hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. In verse 10, For with the heart, and so if anybody's ever asked you, where is it in the Bible about this heart thing? The word says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then notice this, and with the mouth confession is made. So if you're taking notes tonight, especially those of you that are watching, write some of this stuff down. First of all, you believe, write the word believe down. And then write the word confession. You have to confess that you are a sinner. Now, real heart belief is this, that you have to believe that Jesus Christ is the way, not just a good way, a better way, another way, but that he is the only way, the truth and the life. But then something that perhaps you very rarely give attention to, but it's something very absolute necessary in this whole spectrum of salvation, and that is genuine repentance. You you have to have a heart belief. You have to have confession. Yes, I am a sinner. But then there has to be genuine repentance as well. In Luke chapter 13, I want you to see this passage. In Luke chapter 13 and verse number three, the scripture says, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. So here's the thing. You have to believe with your heart. And as I asked the question the other day about the belief of the devils who tremble and the belief of Satan, let me remind you of something that the belief that they have never changed an ounce about them. It was just merely an affirmation. And so this thing of grace, this whole thing about salvation, calling upon the name of the Lord, faith that is not dead, you have to have a heart belief. You have to confess, yes, I am a sinner, but you also have to repent. And repenting of our sins is absolutely necessary. I want you to see a passage in the book of Acts. Turn there with me to Acts chapter 2. And I want you to see this 
in verse number 37 and 38. Repentance is a very important thing here. And I want you to get this down tonight. And I realize we've only covered one or two scriptures here already in the Bible study, but you, you just be amazed at how much can ooze from a passage or two. But here in Acts chapter 2, I want you to see this in verse number 37, verse 38. Now, when they heard this, this is about the the sermon that Peter was preaching here. Look at it very carefully. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. They were stirred in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Okay, the gospel was preached and now the question comes back. Okay, now what should we do? Now look at this in verse number 38. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized. So when, whenever you've witnessed to somebody who says to you, oh, well, I was baptized when I was 12. I've always been a Christian. Maybe you know somebody like that. I, I've, I've witnessed to many people that have said to me, oh, I was baptized when I was 12. I was baptized when I was 13. Well, but it means nothing. If baptism, if what they're saying is that they were baptized before they were saved, it means absolutely nothing. You can get baptized a thousand times without repentance and you can still die and go to hell. Here's the scripture here. Repent, genuine repentance. And then the instruction after you repent, the word says, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So I want you to look at this. These people who had heard the message, they were stirred, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? How, how can we be saved? How can we be born again? Now, here's the thing. Of course, you have to be sorry for your sins. You have to be. And I want you to see this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's go there for a minute. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and I want you to look at verse number 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Let me take just a minute or two to find it myself. And I want you to look at verse 9 and 10. The Bible says this, Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that she sorrowed to repentance. You see, you have to be sorry for your sin. You have to be. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. Look at this. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. And so it's important. Sorrow is just a component of this thing. Repentance is so strong that here's what repentance does. When a person genuinely repents, genuinely, it radically affects the way that we think. When repentance comes in, I mean, true repentance takes place. It radically changes our thinking. And when our thinking is changed through this whole thing of grace, 
the results of that is that the change in our thinking will produce a change in our life. It's sort of like this. When a person repents, his mindset completely turns around. Now, again, it doesn't mean that a person is perfected, that a person walks in glorified perfection at that moment of salvation. That's not true. But it's like this. If a person is walking in sin and, and, he, and he's, he's going down the gospel road and, and he hears the gospel, he believes with his heart, he confesses, yes, I am a sinner, and he truly repents, then here's what's going to happen. That repentance has an effect on his thinking. God, by the Holy Spirit, turns that person around and it radically changes the direction that they're going in. Where they were going this way, they now go this way. The radical change in the mind through the Holy Spirit. Now, this is in, this is in no ability of a of a human being, but the Holy Spirit radically changes their mind. He radically changes their life. So here's the thing. You have to have confession. You have to have real heart belief. You have to have repentance and you have to invite the Lord Jesus in. He's not going to intrude without the invitation. In Romans chapter 10, verse number 13, the Bible says this, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, I refer to the scripture a lot. It says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. So here's the thing. When a person is genuinely saved, and I'm not talking about dead faith, phony faith, but when a person is genuinely saved, and he has experienced the heart belief, he's experienced the confession, he's experienced the true repentance, and he's invited the Lord Jesus Christ into his heart, and there's a radical change. Listen, the, the effect of all of that is this. When a person has been radically changed and affected, then the thing that follows all of that is, in fact, that they will now follow Jesus. They will now surrender to his word, to his will. When a person follows Jesus, you know what that involves? It involves works. When a person is radically saved, heart belief, confession, repentance, inviting the Lord Jesus in, and we turn completely about face, and we begin to follow Jesus, the response to following Jesus is working for Jesus. We, a person who just goes through the motions of this and says, yes, you know, I, I, I got saved, and they sit down, fold their arms, they go to sleep, whatever it is that they do in life, and they never do anything for the Lord. You question that. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, did we not cast out devils? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do this? Did we not do that? But here's the thing. If we are genuinely saved, radically saved, radically changed, and we are following Christ, he's not leading us off of a cliff. He's leading us to do the Father's will. So following 
Christ will ultimately produce good works. And James will teach us here in the study that faith without works is dead. So I want you to see this. Why do we work? Because it was the instruction of Jesus. In 1 John chapter 2, verse number 4, the Bible says this. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments. And this is powerful language, but you can read it. You're holding your Bible in your hand. The Bible says he's a liar. Is a liar. And the truth is not in him. All of that we've said tonight in one verse. Now I want you to see verse 21. Let's look at James. And I will only have time probably to get to this passage of scripture tonight. We've seen all of this in verse 20. Now look at verse number 21. And this is a powerful verse. Brother David, I'm going to give you my notes here in a little while. And um, there's a tremendous tremendous study in verse 21. Brother David will get that to you next Wednesday night, but I just want to give the introduction to it because here in verse 21, look at this. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? When he had offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar? Well, see, this is where you really got to study it. This is where you really have to put the traction to it because we're clearly taught in the word for by grace are you saved through faith and not of works. And Titus 3, 5 teaches us, not of works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. So I want you to look at this. James is going to discuss now two people in these next couple of verses. He is going to discuss a man and he is going to discuss a woman. Now, first of all, in verse 21, the man was a Hebrew. He was from the land of Ur. He was of the Chaldees. We know much about him. And the woman that James is going to talk about was a harlot from Jericho. So he's talking about Abraham and he's talking about Rahab. And uh, this is much too deep to get in six minutes and so I don't want to take a talking point from Brother David for next week, but this is a tremendous, tremendous passage of Scripture. What are we talking about? We're talking about faith, dead faith. We're talking about works, good works. We're talking about how works intertwine with faith because, again, here's here's what I want to leave you with tonight. When a person has been radically saved and changed, they are dramatically turned about with genuine repentance. And this turning about produces a will, a surrender will to follow the Lord. And following the Lord produces works. We're not saved by works. See, works is not the first thing that takes place. We are gloriously transformed to become, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. So when we are saved and we become a child of God, the evidence of that, the manifestation, again, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, then we not do all these things. And Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you. So there are a lot of people that claim to be saved who are not saved. 
And really they have nothing in their life that bears testimony of being saved. Everything about them is radically going in the wrong direction. You see, when you get saved, and I'm talking about genuinely saved, I'm not talking about a person that gets saved, really saved, radically saved, and then uh, goes through a, a traumatic period of time in their life and they get backslidden, they get out of the will of God, and they endure the chastisement of God. I'm not saying that that kind of person is not saved. But I do believe this, when a person is saved, the first thing that happens when a person gets saved is they don't jump into the mud pile. When a person gets saved, they don't go running for the hog pen. But a person can get in the hog pen. But the first thing that happens is this, when a person gets radically saved and they truly repent and they turn, the first thing that happens is they follow the Lord. And when they follow the Lord, they get busy for God. Things happen in this process that gets them off of that path. Sometimes they can go so far backwards that God will put them on a shelf and the Holy Spirit will never work in their life again. But again, when a person is radically saved, the immediate reaction to that is to follow the Lord. And following the Lord, we serve the Lord, we work for the Lord. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, Visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.